Welcome back to the Speakeasy Law Podcast and part two in this series. I learned from Carmen. I, yep. You know, that was that was what I learned when I, I sat in with consultations with him was, you know what, if you go into every consultation trying to find the best solution rather than just filing bankruptcy, number one, you're going to have happier clients, but number two, you're going to have more successful results. And I think, so that, oh. I'm sorry to interrupt, Casey, that's one of the things that sets us apart from every other firm out there. And when people ask us if we have competition, the answer is clearly no, we don't have competition because bankruptcy is always your last resort. It's never your first resort. If there's another way to solve a problem, solve the problem that way. If strategically bankruptcy makes sense and it's the client's best result, then you 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 tell them, hey, look, this is what I think you should do and here's why. But I always try to eliminate all the other options first. Should you do this? Should you do this? Should you do this? Should you do this? Should you do that? So you go through A, B, C, D, E, and then if F is the best result for the client, then you say to them, here's what I think you should do. But it's ultimately their choice to file the bankruptcy. Some people, they don't want to hear about bankruptcy, and that's fine. Other people, I can't tell you how many people we've told, you do not want to file bankruptcy because if you do, it'll be bad. So I think one thing that, that was really cool was Lampley said that he actually learned that from you. Hmm. And I think it's cool that if you go look at our, our reviews, um, and you can look at recent reviews all the way to year reviews that were left years ago. And it says, I went in and saw them. I met with Carmen Delutri uh, personally, and he told me that I shouldn't hire him. And so I think it's really cool to go through and read all the reviews from years past all the way until, you know, a couple months ago where mm-hmm. people are saying the same thing. It's it's kind of neat. I think it's the philosophy. I, I, I think just as a firm, that's the philosophy. The philosophy is how do we help you first? And then it's not we... always what we, it's, it's not always what we do. And so how can we get you help some other way? I mean, I can think of a ton of people right now, just by name that I remember the cases where they came in thinking they needed to file bankruptcy and we were able to do something else for them and totally avoid a bankruptcy filing for them. And those people are the happiest clients we've ever had because they didn't have to do the ultimate fear. Then on the other side of the spectrum, you have people who were so afraid of filing bankruptcy that once they got into it and got done with it, they can't thank you enough. And they, they, they can't imagine they can't doing imagine it any other way it, because right? of the outcome. And they know? become our biggest cheerleader saying, no, these guys put me in bankruptcy and it was the best thing they ever did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's, it's, it's really interesting to see it happen. I mean, one of the coolest things to watch is a client when they, when they walk into the building for their first consultation, whether we sign them up and they agree to go to bankruptcy because that's what they need to do or foreclosure defense or just we give them the solution right there at the consult. They don't need to hire us. Their walk into the building looks so much different than their walk out. It's the green mile, right? No, it's you see that weight theoretical weight lifted. You know, you just see the the shoulders come back up. The shoulders come back. They're slumped when they walk in. The shoulders come back. They feel like they have a plan to deal with it. And that is immeasurable for peace of mind. Just in that console, it's that peace of mind of, I know how I'm going to deal with it. And, And Dave's right. You see that in just the way they walk, the way they carry themselves in that. I've seen that transformation a a thousand times over. And I got to tell you this story. I don't know if you guys ever heard it or not, but middle conference room, I'm there one night. It was a late night, probably a six o'clock consult. Husband and wife sitting next to each other, been married 20 years. Come in, they start talking to me and I 
trying to say, well, how much debt do you guys really have? And the husband had absolutely no clue that they were about $40,000 in credit card debt. And he was one of those guys that would be like, oh, well, I just give her my paycheck and then, you know, she takes care of the bills. So I was like, well, we got to deal with this. And the wife kind of was just really timid. She didn't want to say too much. And I said, ma'am, how many years have this been going on? I just questioned her about the debt and I could see he was getting agitated. And then she just broke down. She started crying and she broke down. She said, I've been dealing with this stress for many, many years. And honey, I know you work hard, but I didn't want to burden you with this. But every time you got a new pair of shoes, I had to put on the credit card. Every time I got you new tools, I had to go on the credit card. And it was just rolling over here. She goes, this has been eating me up inside for years. And she's crying. Husband stopped, turned to his wife and looked at her and he said, I'm sorry. I've been a terrible husband. I should have known what you were going through. I gladly took those boots. I took those tools and I never thought about how we were paying for it. I never asked you. And had I known you were dealing with all this stress, I would have gotten involved. He, he apologized. He said, I'm so sorry for being a terrible husband to you. I got up. I had to walk out of the room. I was about ready to cry because that's the only time that I saw a guy in that situation take responsibility. And I thought, good for him. Good for him. Because it should be, when you're in a marriage, it should be that everybody knows what's going on financially. But usually the way I see it, one person deals with the debt and the other person doesn't. So I call it the home CPA. One of the persons in the house is going to be the CPA who pays the bills, who does this, who does that. And it should be a, a two-way street so everybody knows what's going on. But traditionally, those roles were given to either the wife or the husband, and that's the way the marriage progressed. And it's interesting today to see it how, how money and finances is becoming a little bit more ingrained into the relationships. I don't see it as totally separate anymore. I see more together. And I've seen things well, over time. It's well, funny you say that because I think in, um, for a lot of people that I know personally, I think it's so funny. Their finances are completely separate and they're handling their own. And well, I think we can that's all say not how it is it, in mine. So well, we've it's seen funny it all to me. ways. I've seen it where husband and wife married 20 years and neither of them knows where the other one banks. Yeah. Then I've seen <laughs> it married 20 years. Everything's combined. And then I've seen bifurcated, like, well, he makes his own pay, he makes his own car payment, and I make my own car payment. That doesn't work for me. It, it but everybody's different, so mm -hmm. I never judge on that. I don't care. Quite frankly, whatever works for you, works. But if it's the stress of that one, I have to go back to that. I never forget that or that thing because the stress was the money stress was eating at them. You didn't realize you were a counselor, did you? I didn't say anything. I, they let <laughs> they worked it out between them. I had to get well, out of the room. I mean the. the one of the big things about bankruptcy, the, the the stated express purpose that Congress wrote was to prevent divorces because finances is probably one of the number one causes of divorce in marriages. And I can think of at least two, maybe three that of top that in my history here at the firm, and there could have been more that I didn't know about, but two or three that for sure were on the path to divorce. And I got a call and we, we spoke later in their, their chapter 13, which lasts a couple of years of type bankruptcy. Um, and the clients during that call had told me that everything was going great in the marriage and that they had reconciled and divorce is not on the table for them anymore. Um, and so I thought that was kind of cool that, you know, 
this was able to bring them back together and take that stress that caused them to really pull apart um, after the fact. And it doesn't save everybody. I've had clients, many clients that got divorced during the case. It just, it happens, but. Oh, it, um, it's the number one problem. I, I think a lot of times people come to the bankruptcy side too late. It's the last option they try and they've already pushed themselves so far because like Carmen said, you, you've got the stress, you've got the secret, you've got all of these things and you, it just starts affecting everything else. You might be fighting with your spouse over something totally unrelated, but it's because you're carrying this weight from the debt. It's because he goes out and buys a pair of shoes. He doesn't know. He has no idea that, that that's a problem. Now the spouse is completely upset about you spending, you know, so they wait and wait and wait and push that decision down the road. I found most successfully bankruptcy is the best when it starts at the, you know, at the beginning, the, the more time you have to, to not build up all of the anger and all of the, the, you know, I can't think of the word, the, the animosity, I guess that that's really, but like Dave said, those that start early usually find that bankruptcy helps them reconcile because it helps solve the big problem. You can and now release they can that pressure, that stress. Absolutely. I mean, can you enjoy anything if all you're thinking about is how much is this going to cost us? Where are we going to, what are we, you're not going to enjoy any part of your life. If you could have the greatest care. movie in the world, but you know, if you're dealing with the stress, all you're sitting there during that two and a half, or if it's Titanic, it's three. You, all you're doing during those three hours is sitting there talking, thinking about how much the ticket costs, how much the popcorn costs, how much the drink costs. That's what you think of, and you you completely didn't enjoy the movie because of that that stress. Many many years ago, I wrote a blog called either Financial Infidelity or Financial um, Adultery. It was infidelity. Infidelity, and I got people from around the country who asked me if they could republish it. And I was like, sure, not thinking any better, but sure, go ahead. And the reason was, was, is that a form of infidelity where you are doing one thing and your spouse doesn't know how much you're spending? To me, yeah, <laughs> because, but I'm not going to ask every day. I'm going to ask my wife, how much did you pay for the new pair of shoes? Or even did you buy a new pair of shoes? I'm not going to ask. So, I mean, am I just as bad off in that? Yeah, probably. But I all agree with Dave. I've seen bankruptcy save marriages by far, and it's the best thing they did. But I've also seen people bury themselves in debt to try to keep up with the Joneses because of Instagram and Facebook and all that other garbage out on the Internet that just trying to live their best life. So, you know, oh, Bob got a new boat. I should get a new boat. Well, can you afford the new boat? And I, I don't think people live like that anymore. But again, there's not as much stress in my world as there is in somebody like Jackie's world to live up, to keep up with the Joneses. I don't give a crap about the Joneses. And nobody knows how much debt the Joneses are carrying. Yeah, oh, no. That's, that's like the that's commercial. That's the reality, right? The commercial. I'm the guy in debt to my eyeballs. The reality is... I love that. We should get it, put that in here or something. When, that's when great. people always come in and they're like, well, my friend did this and and, and th this is what they did. And, and I, I take a step back and, and, and realize you have no idea what really happened there. You have, you know, and it's it's been cases where it's been clients of ours refer somebody else in, and and the person says, and, and you know, there's not a bankruptcy case in this office. I shouldn't say there's not a, but most of the bankruptcy cases I at least see in one shape or form, either the consult somewhere down the line, Dave sees it, Carmen sees it. We basically see every case, 
And so we know those clients and this, a new consult will come in and say, oh, I was, you know, and, and this is what they did. And I'm amazed because that's not how their bank, their friend's bankruptcy case went at all, but that's what their friend told them. And so they, they get this image in their mind about keeping up with people and it's, but that you, you see it all the time. It's like, yeah, your friend has a, a $40,000 boat and he's got a $60,000 second mortgage on his home that he used to buy that boat. And you know, all of those things that, that you don't see and people just, it's, it's crazy. Well, of course you can't let them know that, but no, no, you, you don't ever talk about it like that. You, yeah. But, but I mean, it's, it's just those things where people look at it and say, Oh, you know, he's making the same amount of money I'm making and he has all this stuff. Well, I, I must be doing something wrong. Right. Well, the problem with that is that you, you, you know, in our world, Casey, it's kind of funny because there are certain things we can do. And then there's certain things which are out of our control. And you're talking about the boat. It's funny you mentioned that because we had a client one time who came in. He filed bankruptcy and he surrendered his boat. But he said to me, well, what do I do if they don't pick it up? I said, you just keep driving it. Keep it insured. Keep it insured. Don't use it if it's not insured, but keep it insured. Well, the bank, I don't know if he, what happened to it. The bank never came and got the boat. So this guy told all his friends, hey, I filed bankruptcy. I haven't made a payment on this boat and I'm still driving it. And it was like seven or eight years. Oh my gosh! I had like a fifty thousand dollar boat. And then you have to explain to other people to explain, why that's, that's not what that's happens. Not in what bankruptcy. happens in bankruptcies? Because they're like, well, you did it for Bob. Why can't you? I just want to keep boat? my boat. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. It's kind of difficult on us because we're like, well, yeah, that's true. Unfortunately, that's probably not going to happen in your case. That's when the phrase "every case is different, different" comes, comes in. in. We use that a lot, uh, even before it gets to you guys. You know, we get we get phone calls, and so people are wanting the consultations, and we have to use that phrase a lot before they even get a chance to speak to the attorney. And the worst part is, it's always, well, Carmen told me I could, and then Dave and Dave get the call. Yeah. Well, and they're like, uh, I need to talk to Carmen to about that. What's funny to me is when I get the calls, and they're like, no, Carmen called me. She told me to call her right back. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, did she? Okay. Got it. Okay. Well, that that's very the, the smallest nuance can be in a detail, and that yeah. can change a case on a dime. Yep. And so, if you miss the nuance, he may have said something, but there might have been a big if, or but, or something in there that really can can uh, spin a case. Look at it and say one day difference can be so so different. You know, one day between difference. the 909th day that you've owned a car and the 910th day that you've owned a car completely different treatment in a bankruptcy yep. between the difference between, you know, your taxes filed on April 15th. But if that happened to be a year where April 15th fell on a Sunday, now April 16th or April 17th are different. I mean, there's so many nuances that it, made it's impossible $52,049 as opposed to $52,048. Yeah, I'm not it, sure if that's the precise number for the means test on, anymore, a, on a level, but point is, but, but that's the point, you know, Wait a minute. There really is. Every bankruptcy Does case Dave is different. Does Dave not know it's specific? Yeah, I, I, I don't waste weird... I don't waste my time on things phone. that I can quickly go look. At. So, so the point <laughs> that's the, how I know so many other small nuances. I'll, 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 this is what the crazy part is. You have to ask people: Do you own any real estate? No. Do you own any cemetery plots? No. Do you own any timeshare condominiums? No. Do you own a condo? Well, condo is not real estate. As a condo, I don't own the land. I own the condo. You got to keep asking. And then you got to ask them, do you own any real estate? Did anybody else leave you real estate? 
No. Did anybody else put you on their real estate that you may not know of? How that's absolutely happens, happens all the time where parents put their sons or daughters on on a piece of real estate. Didn't know it. They never told them. Had no idea. And, and it, you know, two stories. I, you know, we're not in the story time section. Of, oh, uh, we of are. Our, our we we can go right on into so, story time. I was waiting for well, it. I want to go other things first. But go ahead. So, so, but, but, but to go with that, yeah. I, I was sitting in my office one day, and I'll never forget. I get a call from uh, a judge up in Virginia, and the judge says, "Counselor, uh, you've got a problem." And I said, well, yeah, I got a real problem. I've never been in Virginia, and I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not subject to your jurisdiction, yeah. sir. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, say wait, that. You know, this, this is, the conversation's going downhill this, after this that. This is going to be a big problem. <laughs> and he said, he said, counselor, do you represent this client? And I said, yeah. He said, well, did you know there's a boat that's the subject of a big dispute in my courtroom right now, and I'm looking at your bankruptcy schedules and don't see that boat on there? And I said, uh, Sorry, uh, let me let me see. Let me call my client. Turns out he had given this boat to a charity five years ago. The charity never did the Bella sale or whatever they do with the Coast Guard to transfer title. And now here, this boat was in a dispute between a charity and an auctioneer at a charity event. And but my client's name was actually on the title, yep. and he had no idea, no way of knowing it. And here I am with a phone call from Virginia saying. Um, you failed to disclose something on your bankruptcy schedules. Anyway, what about our client who filed Chapter 13 who was buying boats on Facebook Marketplace and selling them, signing the titles over, and then people weren't registering the boats? So he had, a, how many, seven boats in his name on the state of Florida things, and he's like, you have these boats? Yeah, I had them at one time. I sold them. How long ago? Two years ago, maybe more? So oh we're gosh. beyond the two years where we have to disclose it. So he didn't have a problem not disclosing it, but he had 13 open titles out there with his name on stuff. It's like, you got to make sure they, you know, register, but they don't have an ob- a duty to register. Well, there, there is a form that the seller can they, file. Yeah, yeah, seller can file. So you don't have to worry we, about it. We educated him about that. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, it's amazing what you learn about, like, and if you people ask, just hate for granted that, yes. you know, oh, no big deal. I'm just going to add my son to the title of the house. What yep. could be wrong? Well. And the son goes out and gets a judgment against them. And now there's a lien on your house. We've had that happen. My friend told me to do this. or My friend told me to put my house in a trust. And you're like, okay, why would you do that? So you've got a lot of things that you, and you, you can, there's no limit of questions. You can ask a potential client because I I always go, do you have any land in Guam? And one lady said, yes, I do. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. That was a joke. Do you have a baby grand piano? Yes, I do. Really? I didn't expect you to say yes to that, but wow. Okay, we got to deal with this now. Those are the types of things where you have to ask about collectibles, coins, stamps. And when you ask about baseball cards, oh, yeah, I got some of those. Well, and now it's become crypto. Crypto. You have to ask about crypto. You have to ask about Robinhood. You have to ask about Venmo. You have to, you know, it's just. Well, people, I mean, people just think about that stuff, I think, as that's just my stuff. I mean, they can't take my stuff. stuff. But, I mean, yeah, they can. Even if it's negligible, de minimis value, you still have to disclose it because disclosure is the name of the game. It may be worth nothing, and that's great for your bankruptcy case. But you have to disclose it. And I'll tell you, the reason people probably don't is they're they're probably more concerned with my house is in foreclosure and how do I save this thing? Well, you know, it's the dog thing. You know, everybody's like, why do you have – why do I have to list my dog in my – because you have an animal – it has some value potentially. 
You gotta list it. You know, it, I can see I how got, people get freaked out about that, though. I got, oh, I got, absolutely. I got two stories. Probably one of us gonna make David Lampley laugh. Remember when we went through the Iraqi dinar? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we we had a. But it's about to hit any day now, right? Yeah, we had a case where <laughs> it's about to be said any day. Just unbelievable. How much did he have? And I'll tell you, you know, the, he, he, he and it's you know, I always look back on this client and and, and kind of you know. Five million dollar home that he mortgaged to buy Iraqi dinar. Yeah, and and just you know because it was going to reset any day. And David goes to me, he's like, "More Iraqi dinar? Yep." Yeah. And then we had a client who patented a spoon. You guys are going to have to explain that whole situation a little bit better okay. to everybody. Iraqi <laughs> dinar was when so, after we invaded, so, uh, yeah, after George so, Bush invaded, I, whatever. I guess. Well, I guess it really goes back even further than that, yeah. right? It goes back to Kuwait and when we, we had the first Gulf War. Yep. And after the first Gulf War, the Kuwaitis revalued their currency afterward and it became uh, just a massive. People, people made millions of dollars. The Kuwaiti off it. money versus the American dollar was just Yeah, so the exchange much. rate like flipped overnight and all these people that had. So supposedly this was going to happen again in Iraq after, after the invasion in Iraq. And people were, you could buy. A hundred thousand dollar, a hundred thousand Iraqi dinars for like two bucks. Yeah, there were gurus hawking this on TV, yeah. and and just all in and podcasts and everything else. It was crazy. So anyway, it, it was we were we didn't know what the true value was going to be. Yeah, so I had we had to idea. disclose it. We had we had to put unknown value, and and you know at the end of the day, and then the other guy who patented the spoon, I listed the spoon patent, and he had had a spoon pad. It wasn't the spoon for the original spoon. It was a different type of spoon. And the trustee called me and he goes, your guy patented a spoon. I said, yep. He goes, what's it worth? I said, it's been a couple of years since he patented it. Hasn't been able to sell the patent or do anything with it yet. He goes, what am I going to do with this? I said, I don't know. We put it as an unknown value. Sorry, trustee, you get $75 for your fee, but you have to investigate this asset. Oh, I, it was but, just, but asset stories are, are the best stories. I well, I'll, I'll tell you, there was, there was one. Word. Don't forget to subscribe and like the show on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you listen.